leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity Leadership, where we talk to cybersecurity leaders about developing our next generation. Today, we have David who will be sharing his experience of getting into cybersecurity leadership and sharing his tips and tricks for you. Before we get started, call for everyone. If you're seeing this, share this with others because we do need a diverse set of leaders as well as a diverse set of individual contributors within the cybersecurity environment so that we could tackle the complex problems of today and tomorrow. David, tell us a little bit about your background and what got you into cybersecurity. All right. My journey into cybersecurity is a very interesting one. Having started my career in core technology communications, pure signaling, uh, long distance communication stuff, antennas and all of those things. That was the beginning. After my first degree in electronics, computer engineering, telecoms was my passion and my love at the time. So went round, did external line plan, switching, some routing, some basic stuff. I was CCN and CCMP certified. Uh, worked with a few organizations in, in network administration and all of those early stuff. And somewhere at the fourth to the fifth year in my career, I began to notice a couple of things. There was a lot of prestige and respect around purity. Uh, that was the days of the Cisco CCDP certification, design security professional, security for CCSP, security professional. But there was a lot of uh, respect and prestige al along those lines. And I just get excited anytime the CCSP guys came in. They came in only once in a while and they collected fat monies that the, C the CCMP guys weren't collecting. And I was like, what is going on here? These guys and their routers are very expensive. Uh, the switches are very expensive and they don't... Um, they don't particularly do too much. They're just there. Not much was, but they got paid very highly. And so that was also about the time when the telecoms revolution in my country started, where we moved from the PT, PSTN network to the core cellular technology. I had the benefit and the advantage of being part of that transition and having understanding about external life and also at the transmission centers, the long distance trans transmission centers. I got interested in security after an incident as a young engineer where heads began to roll. There was a breach in the switch, uh, the billing platform of the Nitel, Nitel is Nigerian Telecommunications Limited. There was a breach in billing and that breach was very significant. So my, the entire, everyone caught cold. The one was very troubled. And that, that started, they had to implement some security features in the switch. 
And that began my foray and my interest uh, beyond traditional signaling, beyond common channel signaling, seven systems, and the common things we do both in switching and routing. Uh, that's apart from the traditional network on the telco uh, cellular network side. So I read up a few of the chapters in the security professional book, and that sensitized. Uh, then we had, as a network administrator, one of the clients I worked for, we had a security breach where someone's password was breached. As a network, as a young network administrator, the amount of pressure that came with it, the user issues, the stress, and how much management heaped energy on further securing those networks and those issues. And then it was amazing for the first time. It was an American moment for me for the first time when I saw how much potentially we could lose. In that case, we didn't lose much, but how much we could potentially lose was a very big issue for me. It was, I kept turning and tossing on my bed. What is the wrong? Because this is a very senior person who had access to very uh, systems. He was the person who authorized everything. Uh, when payment is in, in, it's going to go in hundreds of millions, he was the one to go to. So I was like, wait a minute, guys. What if something happens to this man and his password is compromised, he's beaten up uh, and his password is compromised and we have to pay heavily for it? That began my strong journey and my strong desire to ensure that I master cybersecurity. So I began to get interested, do conferences, read more around it. And that started the journey for me. And of course, I also I made a good transition into projects, program management, where I now implement projects. And for whatever reason, cybersecurity projects started getting thrust at me, strengthening infrastructure, toughening up infrastructure, improving identity uh, systems and all of that. And, and then along the line, I stumbled also into card transactions and the import of those and the amount of fraud that happens or the amount of fraud that industry is opened up to because the metric rise in the transaction rates on the planet. The internet has become the place. Uh, you do everything online. You seldom buy. I use my phone, the NFC, NFC here right now, to, to, to all the way from taxis to eating at the restaurant to ordering something on Amazon. Everything is up specifically on But then, at this time, it was still starting. And so all of that energy, and as I observed the future trends and the challenges around cards, I got more interested in cybersecurity. And I've been on this journey in total for about two decades. I've been there, done that. I've worked within the ERP domain, rolled out ERPs, rolled out infrastructure on the technology, technical side. Been here, done that, and, and it's been a very pretty amazing experience. Loads of lessons, loads of very difficult moments uh, where you had to answer questions of conscience and think about the future when the future has not happened. How do you prepare for a future you can't see, you can't crystallize, you don't understand the risks uh, because of the limitation of where you are? So this is a major challenge I've also seen in my journey over the years. How do you prepare for volume of transactions that suddenly balloon up. Yeah. yeah. Thinking yeah. about the future is definitely important. Uh, yeah. As you think about your journey, why did you decide to pivot to become a cybersecurity leader versus staying an individual contributor? I decided on the leadership route uh, b because anyway, leadership was thrust at me 
In my role as a project manager, I have been forced to, whether I like it or not, I have to take leadership from a communication standpoint. I had to be comfortable, for example, with addressing the elephant in the room, uh, having difficult conversations that nobody was willing to have, operating with difficult stakeholders because the success of, and the failure of the project rests on me generally. Uh, typically, I'm in charge of scheduling and ensuring that things happen as at when due. When you are in those kind of roles, you are like the proverb, proverbial dancer who cannot look at the noise of the market. You got a job and everyone depends on you as a driver to take them from point A to point B. Now, that requires a lot of leadership, a lot of excellence, a lot of dedication and passion beyond being an individual. And anyway, I enjoy the attention. It's not very easy being a leader, I must confess to you, because then you are much more aware of your own weaknesses and your follies are heightened. And indeed, your personal uh, private failing moments can be easily amplified and you can cause damage at a bigger level. Now, awareness of those kind of things make it very sobering and make it difficult for one to gloss over. But all in all, I'm grateful for the opportunity first to serve and, and to keep serving in leadership position. Because anyway, I was, when I talk online, I find myself in conversations all of a sudden taking the lead, not because I want to demonstrate superior thoughts, or I want to show myself up, but it's coming more from a heart of self, a heart of help, a heart of a responsibility that things could be better. And that is the driving force. Although over the years, that has been misunderstood and people think you want to show off. People think you have a desire to make others look stupid, but no, it's just that you just want things to be better than they were. And you think we can all benefit from a better system. And with no hidden agenda, this is what thrust me into the leadership positions. I found myself either in the project realm or in the technology field, or even in thought leadership that I championed a lot. So as you look to grow your leadership skills, what in your view are the critical skills needed for a cybersecurity leader? That's a very deep question right there. It's multidimensional, Chris. That's very deep. Let me say this. Uh, first of all, you must want it. You must want it. And that is not a skill you gather in any textbook or a skill in any material. It's pure personal desire. When your PDI, personal desire index or indicator, which is a measure of your quotient, which is a measure of PDQ, personal desire quotient, when it is below a certain number that is beyond the equilibrium of the industry and where you are in your life, don't take the leadership position. When your internal willingness versus the industry equilibrium and the strength of events in the environment is at a higher level of turbulence that you can allow, for example, as one of the factors we are measuring within your life at that time, don't take that position. When, you, when your desire is higher than that equilibrium point and the higher to lead, this is genuine desire, not ambition, because there's a difference between ambition and assistance. I call it assistance, the willingness to be good and to help, the willingness that everybody trusts me to stand at this door and the willingness to serve. 
rather than I want to be the most for the purposes of aggrandizement and size ego and all of those kind of things. And somewhere in the future of your leadership, that metal will be tested. You will either be converted to a more humble leader or more authentic leader, or you will grow much more narcissistic or something. And eventually your time will pass without you having left any legacy or you will learn the lesson or nature happens to you. Whatever happens X, but I think that personal desire is the place to start from. It's even a calibrator of how, how well you will do so that I don't sidetrack the conversation. So the rule is the higher your personal desire to lead, especially from the positive psychology standpoint, the higher it is than that equilibrium point for the industry and the environment you are in at large, the more your chances of success as a leader. That's the first one. Can I stop you there? Because okay. that's something that I have not heard about. Yes. For those that are looking to learn more about this, where did, where's this, uh, where did you find this from or uh, where did you learn this so that they could dig into this themselves? I do a lot of personal introspection and I try to find my answers. I don't find my North Pole. Of course, I've read a lot of things, but it's rooted in the materials of self-awareness. To be aware of your desires, self-belief, first of all, self-awareness, self-belief, self-esteem, acceptance and self-promoting and yet being selfless. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, yeah, I'm a big supporter of the North, of having your North Pole as well to help. Yeah, exactly. So having my North Pole and then not following the tide on the outside, but having my North Pole on the inside was the way I arrived at this particular solution. That my personal desire indicator based on all of these foundations of my self-understanding and awareness of where I am must be beyond a certain threshold of the entropy or chaos of the environment. How difficult is the leadership role? How difficult is it to be a leader in that time? What are the challenges the organization or the context is facing? Who are the players there? Would they be willing to give me a chance to succeed or fail? Is the context favorable? And if you're going to be a leader in a place where you don't understand the language, Maybe you should not take up the role. Maybe you should not deserve to be a leader there. You don't even understand the language. You can't even converse and you cannot even engineer meaning beyond communication. Communication is one thing, but meaning is when David is able to put the exact signal in his mind, in Chris's mind, and Chris's response in such a manner that David knows that what he was originally intended to pass across has been understood. This is basic communication engineering. So if you don't, if you're battling language, for example, then maybe you should humbly not take the organization or that leadership role up. So those are the entropy factor, the quotient, the threshold points, for example. Another one, for example, is if you don't understand the culture or you cannot fit into the culture, culture will always eat strategy for lunch and dinner and breakfast. Culture will always destroy the strongest of our good lofty ideas. So as a leader, as a cyber leader, if you don't have the cultural intelligence to lead in that environment, maybe you should pursue that. But there are complements cases like cultural adaptability. If you are culturally adaptable, you know you are strong on the agility leg, which is another thing that being agile or understanding agile frameworks helps you to do anyway as a cyber leader. So it's not a doom and gloom thing. If you notice that there's a gap between where your personal 
desire index is and where the level or the threshold level is, then you can breach the gap and yet you can lead. So it's not, but you should be aware that it's a gap between what your personal desire is. And some people's desires mislead them. Your desire, you may not be ready. You may not have the competence. So desire is empty if it does not pass through. Personal desire is empty if it does not pass through the very lens of self-discovery, awareness, acceptance, then esteem. And then before you now go to self-promoting in all of this yet being selfless so that you're not full of yourself, but you want to serve and really solve a problem. And if we were to choose between Chris and I, I will vote for Chris if Chris is a better candidate than I am to help us through the brimming. Chris knows how to swim. I don't know how to swim. So this organization is at the point within their corporate life cycle where they are rolling out a lot of new products. And Chris has had experience in ro products rollouts and Chris understands the cybersecurity challenges and the risks that happen in that particular sector. Why do I want to rob the organization? of his expertise because I want to earn a few dollars or I want to be the known guy or I want to be the one who is leading the team. That's wanting ego. On the day something critical will happen, then to appear that I don't know how to navigate that bank, Chris is a better driver there. Why don't I give him the leadership? You've been in podcasting for a while and there's audience intelligence, for example, that you have around the cyber regi regime and cyber world. Why don't I want Chris to lead the conversation? Because everyone has what they are useful for, even in cyber leadership. One has a use. Every leader has the moment and the fine occasion of your use. There's your hour in leadership. And do not stay longer than those hours. That's also a subtle counsel there. Your tenure may be two years. You may be a very strong risk manager, or you are a strong infrastructure deployment leader because you have project management and agile understanding like me. And you could actually be a strong people leader because the team needs more confidence as they need someone who is a CISO or a cyber lead that understands that level of energy and intelligence, if you get what I mean. So at the end of the day, wisdom is to select your occasion and moment of brilliance and know your own leadership DNA and leave that ethos and not be driven by external opportunity. Again, that quotient, personal desire that is intelligent. So we can call it intelligent personal desire that's willing to be personally developed to meet the threshold and need of the occasion and the willingness to live when the time is due. Not necessarily when the ovation is loudest, when the time is due for that occasion. So it sounds like if I'm, if I could paraphrase, understanding your leadership ability and your readiness to be a leader is one of those core critical skills in your perspective. Are there any other critical skills? Yes, there is what is called kudoil or situational intelligence or awareness. The ability to understand situations quickly and the ability to take decisions quickly that will help. You need it in cyber security leadership. You cannot afford not to have it. But how do you get the problem with experience is that you gain good experience from bad experiences. And there's cheap experience and there's expensive experiences. I Thank say. you. Cheap I like that. That's true. Thank you. Every time someone listens to Chris Fulon, a podcast, that's good experience. You listen to David or you subscribe to any of the seminars that do in cyber leadership or anything or anything that you do or we organize something together 
and someone listens, good experience. You don't want to wait until a crisis happens. For example, I've seen cyber leaders who don't know they are, they are excellent panickers. I've met CISOs who are panickers. That is, their profile, their panic profile is on the roof. They panic and then they panic and they pile budgets at panic. So they feel paranoia. And then they get before the executive team and their leadership communication skills and futuristic skills begin to be torn to pieces only because the excellent people, when there is no tension, they can take clear decisions. But because they are good panickers or warriors, they keep budgets and they keep reinforced steel, they toughen up architecture, toughen up infrastructure, toughen up. A management is asking, but there's been no incidents in the past five years. Why do I need another server or another thing this year? And the guy goes, that's because I'm good. I'm doing my job. They're like, so that means we don't need it. And it wouldn't be that, that frame of mind if not for his personal panic. But again, some amount of panic is good for a CISO because in the school of cyber warfare, as in real-time warfare, only the paranoid survive. So some amount of paranoia is needed Paranoia is needed in cybersecurity, but at the same time, it's also very difficult for you to be extra paranoid when you are leading people and not use panic to drive the bus off the road. So panic profiling, for example, you must understand your panic profile from a situational awareness perspective. In a situation, what's going on? What are the main things? What's the most profitable action? Which level of panic am I supposed to switch on? Medium, low, or high? How do you apportion or identify the necessary effort or response to an incident in a personal profile? So all of those internal readiness work must be there. Then I just say that leaders must have the four grill things, the four of leadership. Mentor, coach, facilitator, trainer. Mentor, coach, not necessarily in that order. If you want me to order it, coach, mentor, fast, sorry, coach, facilitator, mentor, trainer. Coach, facilitator, mentor, trainer. Training is the last one, but many leaders try to do training first. Yeah, that makes sense. Some of the other skills that I've found over the years to be really critical, and maybe I'll ask you to rate yourself from a, a scale of one to five, is Delegation. How would you describe delegation and rate yourself one to five? On delegation, I'll probably rate myself four. As because I've done some wrong delegations, I'm like, how did I make that mistake? But I rate myself four on delegation um, because I'm blessed with the rare ability to see people and watch and observe without any bias until I understand what's going on. I've learned that over the years. I watch people carefully. And I'm very non-judging in the beginning to ensure that I understand what's really going on. And I'm also sufficiently friendly. I try to be friendly to walk across a bit to understand, even if I see an external behavioral pattern, related over a period, what is behind it? And is this something that can be brought up in a direct conversation or is something we're going to use in direct conversations to deal with? So on delegation, I have about four over five in total because I still have some hits and misses despite my method. Uh, number one with delegation is that there are tasks to delegate and there are things you cannot delegate. The wisdom to know what to delegate and what not to delegate is very important for a cyber leader. Number two. And, yeah. Next, collaboration. How would you rate yourself in collaboration on a scale of one to five and why? Collaboration, I rate myself again four. 
because I've done some bad collaborations in the past and I am a collaboratively shy person now because I've had some bad experiences. So I do more rigorous interviewing. The, and interestingly, I do collaboration intelligence coaching. So there are people who come to me and say, I want to collaborate with this guy. What do you think? Because I have some intuitive coaching practice I do by the side. And I'll just do an analysis. I say, what do you want? Do you want a person-to-person -person profiling or you want a business-to-business, -business, whether your business and that business can collaborate? And in most of the cases, nine out of 10 times, I get it correct. That's for others. But for me, I'm slower because I would watch, ask questions, understand the intent. But the key is to contract in the beginning. That's my summary of it. Contract what the transmission will be like. Contract what the trans what what is what is going to be the recipient's expectation. What is the sender's expectation? What will be the handshake in the middle? Design the contracting of the collaborative effort. Put parameters at it. Let it be well defined. When issues happen that are not covered within the framework you've set up, go back again and look at the framework. This works all the time. I've seen it work all the time. All the time it works. And for communication, how do you rate yourself on a scale of one to five for communication and why? I give myself four, 4.5 over five. And that's because I don't want to be proud. I have seen a lot of, I, know, I understand communication at the human engineering, human fiber level. No, I have developed, I've, because I want to help people communicate better. And I've seen cybersecurity leaders stumble on communication a lot. Technical leaders generally over the years. Be, being, having the blessing of being in many boardrooms, even as a young engineer, just sitting down to observe. And the power of erasing one word and putting another word. The power of erasing a sentence. The power of changing a body language. For example, I don't know whether you know that technical people communicate lower value without them knowing. Just by body language and presence. The average chief marketing officer will always end higher than the CTO and the CISO. And, every, and they're all on the same level. What typically happens is that Technical leaders are communicating without knowing they are even communicating. Body language, conversations. Watch when a CMO wants to talk or a chief product officer, someone that's in the C-suite on the commercial side of the business. There's some, there is some order. There is some practice. Uh, and it, because I have worked in the marketing regime, I've worked in the core marketing comms group, the largest one in West Africa, by the way. I saw what goes into those things. Technical people are so wire and technicality concerned that they don't know that we should practice communication, that we should literally practice, go before the mirrors. If it's a real big presentation to a board, it's a budget presentation, go nitty gritty, ask for feedback, present within your team first before you go for the bigger one where you're going to defend them. But many, many CTOs or, CTOs or CEOs, we just put together a slide the morning of the presentation, they just serve, move some things around, and then they go there and present. And typically, there's a response. So uh, for communication, I read myself 4.5 over 5, and I also have to communicate better. And lastly, I have some unusual answer. Like I told you, what is in my mind and vice versa must come into your mind, and we must get feedback that we got what the other party was saying. That is where communication has happened. And I understand the nuances. And communication is the biggest tool to adjust behavior. And how would you describe the skill of influence and why is it so important in cybersecurity? Influence is very important. Influence, in fact, one of the things I'm researching now, because crime as a service has become big, 
and time as a service will become big. Second reason why I'm studying this, the science of influence and psychology of influence in cybersecurity is that criminal gangs are, have moved into advanced persistent nature. They've morphed and there's, there's the nature of advanced persistent traits. And we say that organizations that there are two kinds of organizations, those that have not been hacked and those that will be hacked eventually. The other factor why influence is important is that we are having more energy and more order on the side of the criminals and law enforcement is trailing behind and litigation is also trailing behind as a global trend. So we need to begin to learn adversarial influence strategies so that we can go beyond just influencing our team to influencing the criminal behavior. We should go to the point where we will be able to do prescriptive analytics that will almost help us to know where the crime will come from because the tools that are going to be available to criminals from, I mean, that are available since year 2020, COVID-19 it, and that will begin. I mean, there are people that commit a thousand dollars a month. They work and then you commit a thousand dollars a month and they can, and 10 of them can come together into hacking and exploring breaches. And they are willing to commit that kind of money for five years. Trust me, if they keep at it and hire professionals and they decide to go into crime as a service, they will begin to succeed. So how do we be from a security standpoint to influence criminal behavior? What are the technologies that will help us to lead them in a certain direction? And that's, so that's an area, that's a niche area, adversarial influence management, where we are able to use influence tactics so that we will be able to cage crime. For example, the concept of the corporate uh, cul-de-sac where you actually create vulnerabilities within your system. Windows is known to, have, to be doing that right now. I think Azure has started and Amazon. But you create, you, you create spaces in the cloud where, they, where some data will be thrown at the guys so that they can come at it. And then we use that to isolate that place and use it like a lab to study the intrusion and what they are trying to do and cage all the influence. Influence will be in the future very important for cybersecurity leadership because it's a useful adversarial tool. It will be a useful counter uh, intelligence tool. Uh, and another one is when you are beginning to have anti-forensics. When criminals start from understanding forensics, they understand cyber forensics. So they start designing the crime with a view to be ob oblivious or transparent so that they are like water or, or you can't even plant so that our forensics process and tools can't even capture their existence. So we need to go influence because now, and then they go anti, because, okay, so we discovered that they are anti-forensic. Okay. Okay, okay. Yeah, can I go on? So we discovered that they are anti-forensic. So we do new tools. So it is anti, when you catch, when you find a new way, the criminal fights another way. So when you are going anti-anti-forensic, we may begin to think about influence engineering, where we begin to engineer tools and techniques specifically deliberately to begin to influence the behavior of the nature of the crime. And now the criminal gangs arrange themselves because of anti-forensic. The other thing is uh, we would need influence to inspire our teams to do higher. We need to challenge the blue teams or the internal security teams and the red teams in this case, so everybody working with us to do more because for every single cybersecurity professional, there are about three or four criminals who are ready to do and undo. So we have to develop influence strategies to break the human limit of our teams and make them superheroes and create bigger solutions 
that will keep all of us safer because our infrastructures are going to be exposed in the coming days. We are getting connected in connected cities. So we are seeing water systems and sewage systems with just a single line of code being bridged together where the whole community found their sewage going into their water plant that was processed because somebody got into a computer system and opened a gateway. So we need to find a way of influencing our teams to become far more cyber resilient and go anti-fragile, which is the upper limit of human response to incidents. Another topic that I like to bring up is the concept of networking. Not networking like we, we started our conversation with in telecom, but networking with people. Why is that such a critical skill for a cybersecurity leader? Yeah, because at the rate at which criminals are going again, they are networking. There are websites now, not even in the dark web, openly where Windows vulnerabilities are described and discussed. If we don't have find ways of positive networking, the cyber criminals will always network. Because if they make a single hit, it's a big deal for everybody. They understand the idea of bounty sharing and it's a primitive way where criminals want to rob one village. And by the way, we are now a global village. The village is strong if they were attacking at individual times of the day. But if they come at once, then the village army is overwhelmed. Now, criminals are trying to engineer that kind of... There are hotbeds, some of them to the point that countries are now involved, are sponsoring state-sponsored cyber criminal activity, state-sponsored terrorism. Now, we cannot just afford not to network. In fact, regulatory organizations, both in the United States and the United Kingdom, and most of Europe, are now going cyber networking as a regulatory demand. For example, share information. The obligation to share. If something happens to your network, please share because you are connected to everybody one way or the other. Uh, just a memory stick in your laptop can bring down a whole nation's financial system. It can bring down a whole nation's electrical system. Please don't keep quiet. And those are fun. So it's, it's water. It's the way water is to human life or the way food is to our existence as cybersecurity professionals. We must network. Criminals are networking and the power of aggregation is beginning to play out. We have no choice. Chris, we have to network. It, it will be an anathema to be a hacker. I don't have a hacking group or a hacking community where you organize private hackathons and you have hacking weekend hangouts. You cannot be a GRC consultant and not belong to a GRC group that does Friday evening beer out or Friday evening uh, sushi or dinner. We must network and grow in communities beyond the ordinary. Uh, of course, the only challenge is that communities are domiciled on trust. But the bigger problem is that trust is not a very easy commodity to come by. Cyber professionals are naturally skeptical and paranoid, as we both know. Yes. Yes, that is true. That is true. <laughs> as we wrap up our podcast, any final advice that you would give to future cybersecurity leaders, David? Yeah, the future is green. Uh, groom your leadership without demand. Go for supply before the demand for it will come. Meaning, supply yourself with knowledge, expose your mind, join networks, learn and prepare. Your day will come. We are in combat zone in cybersecurity today. There is the traditional counsel I would give was the response of King David. My position is Christianity. King David, as a young boy of about 18, 
His father sent him, that, as the story goes, to go to the battlefront to check his brothers off and, and give them some provisions and some food. And right there, his eldest brother, Eliab, who was a much more stronger soldier, and he was already known as a war veteran, looked at him. He said, I know your heart. Who did you leave the ship with? How come you're outside here and trying to look at the war? You want to show off? And David said to him, is there not a cause? Many, is there not a reason? Seeing it that these uncircumcised Philistines are defiling the armies of Israel. Forgive my reference to the Bible, but that is the state we are in in cybersecurity. There is a cause. C-A-U-S-E. There is a cause. And your day will come. Every bit of knowledge and capacity you grow as a professional will eventually pay off. The day of payoff, you won't be ready if you did not go to the gym every day. On the day of payoff, when your specific type of cyber leadership, your specific capacity will be required, if you were not in the gym two hours a day, three hours a day, you won't be fit for battle. But your day will come. Don't despair if you're looking for a job, you're looking for a cybersecurity role, engage, engage Chris as a coach, subscribe to Chris's coaching program, engage him, give it 12 months, 24 months, let him guide you, for example, as a cyber coach or anyone around you or whoever you think, but engage your muscles in advance because the day of glory will still come. Forgive me if I look like motivational or I sounded like a pick. Well, David, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And again, a reminder for those that are listening, share with others because David said we need a variety of people. We need a variety of different skills and everyone their skills that they can rely on. And we need all sorts of different leadership. David, thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the great work you're doing in preparing leaders in the cyber realms. We need more of you. And thank you so much for that. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.